I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. I will permit it to pass over me and through me. And when it is gone past, I will turn the inner eye to see its path. Where fear has gone, there will be nothing. Only I will remain. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. Your hosts, David, Scott, and Jim, guide you through the chronological epic story of Dune. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Dune Saga Podcast. I'm David Moulton. I am Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And on this episode, we're going to be discussing Dune House Carino, the sixth book in, in our series so far, and the third book in the Prelude to Dune trilogy, leading up to Dune, the original work of Frank Herbert. So... This is the shortest book we've read so far at, at like, what was it, almost 500 pages? I don't know. I clocked in at about 28 hours in the audiobook. That's all. Holy smokes. But that's sh- that is shorter. I was like, only three parts? Then again, <laughs> then again Dune isn't really much longer. Right, right. Right. And this, you know, we're kind of, people have been kind of waiting for us to get to the original series. I think in part. Even though I've thoroughly enjoyed the journey up to the original series. Right. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've really been, really been enjoying it so far. This, this book felt like it moved really, really fast. So just a, a brief, brief overview. We focused heavily on the Carino house, which is the Emperor Shaddam's story and, uh, his struggle to create a mall, artificial spice, uh, and to kind of try and, uh, take over and gain more power in the political system by having more things under his, his control. So uh, that was the basic premise. We also saw Leto recovering from uh, the the death of his his son, uh, along with planning to was take Victor? to Victor. Yep, as 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 well as taking back um, Ix with Romber. So kind of try, kind of finding his place again and his uh, strength, as well as Jessica dealing with getting pregnant uh, and defiling, not defying, defying, <laughs> defiling, <Whoa. laughs> defying her uh, uh, breeding program instructions. Uh, what else was the, the the Harkonnens were just kind of in the background, kind of causing trouble uh, here and there. They took a, a pretty big back seat, uh, considering the last book. In my opinion. And, uh, one group that took a huge backseat uh, by the time we got to the middle of this book was, uh, Jim's people, the Fremen. I felt once, uh, Liette kind of came into power, they kind of were just like, all right, well, that's, you know, his story's kind of over. And they didn't really touch on it much anymore. So that was the basic premise of this book. I tell you what, though, they certainly started the book with a bang with the Fremen. That's true. <laughs> that's true. I'm like, whoa. I, you know, I felt like in this book that, Bri- that Brian Herbert and Kevin Janderson upped their ante on scenes where they describe gross death scenes. <laughs> because I don't know about you guys, but there were a crap load of them, that, uh, you know, in, the, in this in this book. And there were numerous times like I was like, oh, 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 no, no, oh, you know. I was going to say, considering who they who they offed, it it didn't bother me so much. I kind of cheered a little bit. I guess that's the ghoul in me, but yeah. And the Fremen, the Fremen aspect, uh, they didn't have a whole lot of space in the book, but what they did have was, was some major impact stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, Liet went to, uh, Shaddam to ask for help, uh, told him what kind of atrocities the Harkonnens were doing, and Shaddam was so occupied with developing the Amal that he just kind of blew him off. And Liet said, fine, we'll just take matters in our own hands. Hmm. Yeah. 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 I, and I, I think that nothing really s- struck that home as much for me as, as the point where he was like, 
not even writing his reports anymore. He was just resending old reports from his dad. I know. And he's like, nobody's reading these, so mm-hmm. nobody's going to care. Right. Uh, yeah. 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 So I guess uh, that brings us to uh, really the uh, main, main just of the show here. Let's talk about some of our favorite plot points, things that, that really struck home to us. And along the way, I imagine we'll be talking characters and so on. So, yeah. Jim, can I put you on the spot tonight to start us off maybe with your favorite plot point? Okay. Uh, I really enjoyed the, uh, the whole Atreides story. As usual, I, I have a lot of respect and admiration for the House Atreides. And I like the way they split up. Uh, Leto went to, uh, oh, geez, what's the planet? <laughs> um, oh, he, Kaitan. Call? Oh, Kaitan. Yeah. Leto went to Kaitan to address the Landsrad, and then, uh, Gurney and Romber went to Ix to retake that. And there was no communication between the two of them, so there had to be a lot of trust there that the timing was right so everything would work out. I really I really like that aspect. And not only that, Tufer was uh, off at the call with the uh Yeah, trying to distraction. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I so I think for me the the I really enjoyed um Jessica's story in this one. And I think Maybe not all of it, but man, take all that fighting and stuff aside. I, I, the most intense scene for me was when she was giving birth to Paul. And I knew, you know, cause I've read Dune, I knew he was going to survive. But at the same point, I was like, how are they going to react? Well, yeah. When- I mean, they really build that scene up really, really well. Like you don't know because she's hidden it from how they're going to react. And, yeah. Uh, but you know that they can't kill Paul. At the same time, you just are worried that you're going to go ballistic. And once it's done, they just are kind of reluctant. There's this reluctant acceptance of it. Yeah. Is that the way you would describe it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and also, Anaril is going crazy. Sitting next to her with a weapon, going crazy while she's giving birth. And everyone, not only Jessica, but like all the other sisters are, are like worried about what she's going to do. When the baby, even even if it was the right baby, like, how she's going to react? Right. So, yeah that 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 was a pretty pretty intense scene. Actually, yeah, my one of my favorite scenes is when Shaddam is stranded at Arrakis at the very <laughs> end of the book, right? Uh-huh. So, so Shaddam thinks he has his trump card. He doesn't know that Amal has been totally, um, you know gotten rid of and was a failure. He just doesn't know. He thinks that he's won. And the guild abandons him there with the Harkonnens. And that and Harkonnens think that they are done for. They yeah. have it in. Um, yeah. Which, ironically, I didn't think about that, but the at the beginning of Dune, as we their relationship has kind of gotten seemingly a little bit closer. And I'm wondering maybe if this scene was meant to show kind of that connection. Yeah, but I didn't think about that necessarily when I was reading it. But you know, you just see Shaddam just totally humbled. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just like that part. I am cheering. I'm cheering. I'm like yes, because yeah, yeah. yeah, it it was kind of neat though how he came so close to sterilizing the planet and destroying any possibility of having. Uh, Faster than light travel and all the things that they get from spice. You know, yeah, that, and that's true. I mean, it was just, I don't know. It just wasn't, he wasn't listening to anyone. He was on an ego, egotistical yeah. trip. And you could just see that throughout the entire novel. And, and he had also been a little fooled. Yes. By the face dancer. Yeah, but he was. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the face dancer well, pushed him over the edge. Shaddam seems like kind of an idiot anyway, unless he's got Fenring <laughs> around. You know, I, I agree. Uh, he does. He does. He does. See, well, I think that to a point he wants to prove himself so much that he takes these risks. 
like he doesn't think the process through the way he should. Exactly. You know? he, he needs his right hand in command right there with him. Right. And he needs to be listening to him, and he doesn't. I think an important thing that this book for me defined at the end was kind of the the idea that even the bad guys aren't pure evil. You know, mm-hmm. I mean? maybe not the Harkonnens. It didn't really come across them, but the yeah. but the Karinas. They're just pure evil. Yeah, yeah, the Karinas. I mean, like, because I guess the scene, the very one of the very last scenes where uh, Fenring and his wife are on Arrakis, and they're just kind of, uh, you can tell they're very loving towards each other, and um, they're just kind of talking about their situation and the situation of politics and, uh, you know, what kind of happened and how they got there. And you can tell that they were ambitious, and their ambition took them down a dark path. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that they're just soulless, like, but they are horrible. Really, they are really creepies. No, but I mean, the, well, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and and the storyline that defines that, David, is uh, the Rafa storyline, where Shaddam discovers he has a half brother, and sends all respect. I lost all respect for Shaddam at that point. Yeah, and he sends out the Sardaukar and destroys an entire world to kill one person. Yeah. By the way, Roland said his favorite scene was in. Shaddam was abandoned on Arrakis too. Oh yeah, so. <laughs> that was an intense, an intense scene. I, you know, I, I, one thing that I thought was missing uh, from that part of the book was the guild's response when they got to Ix. Because on Ix, they're like, "The guild's here." They, you know, they answered our call. There is a response though. Like they but, bring, they bring a ship back into the center cavity. Oh and yeah, then they, and then true. they say, "We affirm blah blah, blah house." What's his name? Okay, House Vernies is now the rightful rulers of X. You know, they kind of affirm that and they give their blessing on it. That's true. I and so they, it's brief. It's not like this huge hoopla, but it's certainly a moving scene. And we didn't really talk about that. I mean, what, what do you think about the takeover of X by House Vernies again? That whole, the way that scene plays out. I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, I, it was intense. I liked how you saw how the Amal changed the Sardaukar from being so loyal and uh, a huge force to being reckoned with to being just feral, like, creatures, pretty much. I yeah, it was a slow poison, is what it was. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Or when uh, Ajika kind of went crazy, that was oh, that was man, gross. And he's sitting there, he's, you know, the stigmata's happening in his hand, he's... he's um, Doing that whole thing is absolutely intense. It is. I thought it was interesting how both of the uh, Pilru brothers passed. Yes. Passed away. Because, mm-hmm. well, I mean, um, Demur died saving them, and he spoke of a unseen evil. Dude, go ahead, drop that in to the book, and then not give us anything more. Yeah. Dude, that, that <laughs> was... I felt, and, and they they know there's it's like there's something out there. We don't know what it is. What it is, I don't think we hear about the unseen evil again until Chapter House. I gotta wait that long. So they just drop it in there and just leave us hanging. Yeah. Curse you, Brian Herbert <laughs> and Jay Anderson. All those reviews were right. Yeah, they just dropped this, this like unseen. I don't, I'm pretty sure they don't, it's not spoken of again, but that was kind of like, what is it? Like, right. Well, know? that's what they do. And they like, and he's like scrambling to get him out of there and he does and then dies. Yeah. And then his, mm-hmm. and then Qatar, uh, uh, he, he died getting a message to the guild. Yeah. Which I thought was, I thought was a good end to his character because the, the more that the battle became more and more evident, I was thinking, how would this guy ever fit back into society? Like, you yeah, know, the PTSD would. Would, would just destroy him. He, he wouldn't be useful. But he got to live to see X free again. That's true. That yeah. is true. So, Null Ship, right? Let's talk Null Ship, right? So, the, the Bene Gesserit invite his crew from Bacall over to, like, hang out and say, hey, what do you think of the ship? Do you want knowledge of it? No, let's wipe your mind. Not a big deal. They get back, and the one guy resists. 
and suddenly starts just recalling everything that happened. Yeah. You know, and because of his Mentat background, because he had some Mentat training, he was kind of failed yeah. or washed out Mentat. Um, and as a result, they scour the inventor's laboratory and discover this little space that there's some notes that didn't know existed. And then they, then they, they figure out a lot of this information. They begin to piece stuff together. And that storyline feels kind of dropped to me. Because once they are accused of having spice, they kind of blow the plant smithereens, and we don't hear much about what's happened to the notes. But I assume they're not gone. Yeah, yeah. I well, okay, so this is something that I actually between our last recordings, uh, I can't remember if somebody commented this on our post in the in the Dune Saga group on Facebook that uh, Kevin J. Anderson runs, but somebody said. Ask the question: How come you introduced snow ships, and when they destroyed the prototype, how can they exist later? Like, what's the deal? And his response was: Like many technologies that were created and then destroyed, someone reinvents it later in time. Like the idea is just comes back around. Yeah, and so that the, makes sense. Yeah, he just said eventually it just kind of comes back around. Roland did say when we talked about the void just a minute ago, he said, remember the Omnius probe set out from the Gidi Prime in the Legend of Dune series? Uh, could that be connected to the unknown threat? Could. Oh. Could. Yeah, we don't know. I, I do, you know, you, since I know you read into Chapter House, right? They come back and we don't really, do we know anything about them then? Um, so did, did we, was the scattering mentioned at all in any of the other books? I forget. No, I don't think so. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but I'll tell you that there's other possibilities of what it could be. Apparently, uh, just a little history lesson at some point between, uh, I think, um, uh, Battle of Corinne and the prelude, somewhere in that, those centuries of time, there was a period called the scattering where humanity just sent ships out into the. Well, now is this where the, um, the Fremen come from originally, like back then, from some of the scattering of. Yeah, I think I think that might be actually it might have, might have taken place before those the um, legends of you, but there was at some point in time where humanity just like people just got on ships and just went into the distant and where you know where they went, who knows? So that it could be, or it could be you know. Yeah. Wow. So. All right. So, what other uh, what other events happen that we uh, we we should talk about here? Hmm. Man, well, what about um, Harkonnen stuff? I mean, the Baron tried to learn how to be uh, have, <laughs> have etiquette, <laughs> which resulted in his yep. etiquette teacher dying. <laughs> right in a manure pit. Well, that was that was the downside. I, I just. <laughs> Absolutely thought that, of course, Raban stole the show there. You know, he would not be trained. He, all he wants to do is kill things. Yeah. And that, I'll tell <laughs> that poor teacher, I can really sympathize. Been there, done that. I think, <laughs> I think at his party, everyone reacted how I felt the, a teacher should have reacted to the idea of coming to teach the Baron something. And they were all like, I don't know if I want to be here. This is kind of dangerous. Like, will I leave this place? If someone came up to me and was like, would you like to teach etiquette to the Baron of Har- Baron Harkin? I'd be like, that's no. like, that's <laughs> like do, you want, do you want to teach etiquette to Manson? Yeah. 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 Hello. Oh yeah. yeah like, no, yeah. no, sorry. No, <laughs> knowing what is at house Harkonnen, you've got that, Nutty Mentat Piter, you've got um, uh, Raban. I, I would not want to sit anywhere without my back to a wall. Yeah, <laughs> my favorite part was a cake. <laughs> full, full of all oh, the gosh, steaks, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't there a- only bet? Ba- ba- only Baron Harkonnen would think that. Actually, was what I was expecting to be in the cake was actually like some young boys or something like that <laughs> naked. So I was actually pleasantly surprised, oh, and there were like snakes slithering around here. That was actually better. 
It reminds me of the scene in All right. Cartoon. Here I go with, I'm going to need another month of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you remember the scene in, in Temple of Dune where they slice open the snake and all the baby snakes come out? That's just what I imagined hmm. for this. You know, the other part we didn't mention that relates to Har- uh, Harka- Harkonnen or Harkonnen, as you guys are saying, is the, is the attack on Caladan. Oh yeah. Yeah, so when he hooks he hooks up with uh who's the Martini. Yeah, more he hooks up with Martini and they they know that Leto has put all his eggs in a basket. He's he's on X and he's on this uh he has he's on this decoy, but there's like no one really protecting and and uh who's it Ger- it's not Gurney Howard. is it Gurney Howard? No, oh, it's no oh, yeah, to, 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 so Fufir, yes, to uh, Howard it comes back and realizes it. Yeah that he is unguarded. Yeah. And then they play out that scene, and what, and the irony that the guy that's leading the attack is like Duncan's old friend, yeah, is phenomenal. Um, I love the way that scene played out. I, I, you really get a payoff for Raban's previous uh, missteps in this. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. Raban pre, uh, what is it, Wallach? Is that how you say it? Wallach Nine's debacle with the right. no, no ship. Pre that, he would have attacked no matter what. Right. But having having mm-hmm. had that punishment of being banished to Lancavel and all that stuff, like as soon as he saw the saw it, he was like, "No, we're you know, Har- Harkonnens pull back." Right. Uh, well, now didn't Raban want to reassert his position as the heir apparent to the Baron because because of what was going on with Fade though? Was, do you I, think maybe that's why he decided to attack uh, Caladan? Well, I think that was kind of a little behind his motivation there to try and prove himself again. Yeah. Even doesn't doesn't the Baron uh, say kind of in the side like think at the one point that this 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 showed uh, a surprising initiative for Raban, and he actually kind of approves it, even though he'll never publicly tell him that. Yeah. I yeah. think there was one part that mm-hmm. kind of hints at that, and that makes. That makes sense, then. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, what else happened with the Harkonnens? Well, uh, P- Piter's character... Oh, yeah, well, that deals, that plays in with the whole kidnapping. We should talk about that. Yeah. So we had mm-hmm. the... P- P- Piter sees Jessica. Uh, he's away from the Baron. Right. Uh, on on Kaitan, and he, he's he's like, well, he, here's he's, a, a chance to do something. Well, he's uh, he's realized at that point that Jessica is the heir of Harkonnen. Yeah. He's put two and two together and has the age right and the look right, and he's able to kind of process the information and say, this is Harkonnen's daughter, and and what a better chance to get back at, at Leto than to take the... Um, Take this kid, kidnap him, and make Leto pay. Yeah. Well, and he's also got the hots for Jessica, too. Hard, <laughs> yeah, he does. Hardcore. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> Big time, yeah. It's like it's like something in his brain snaps all of a sudden, and he's just like, this woman, I gotta have her. Yeah, <laughs> you know? stalker dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, crazy stalker dude. dude uh, but that, mm-hmm. that is probably the thing that saves Jessica's life in the long run. Yeah, because I mean, so I mean, he comes into that room. He slashes and guts these two nurses right there. They're taking care of the baby. He looks at the baby and debates real briefly with having his way with Jessica, which is kind of I don't know, it's kind of gross considering she's just given birth, right? Yeah. Um, and but decides not to like kill her or anything. And I think it's because of that whole hots for mama type thing that he that he doesn't do it. Well. We know in the future he definitely expresses having the hots for her, but it's really am- uh, amplified here. I mean, of course, it's a different piter or whatever yeah. you want to call it, but right. but yeah, uh, yeah. So he steals he steals the baby right and just dashes through out the castle. Yeah, that doesn't really have a plan. You know, for a mentat, that's and that's the thing that bothered me just a little bit. For a mentat going in to a a situation in not having a plan or not thought out of a way out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then stealing the baby and not thinking about how the baby was going to cry. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where are you going to go? There's no place to go. Well, not only stealing the baby, but he should know that. I mean, Fade Rautha's living in the Harkonnen house. He knows how much they cry, right? Yeah. So he shouldn't, this should not have been a surprise for him, but 
I don't know. He was so set at getting back at House Atreides, maybe. Yeah. Um, of hurting Leto that, uh, just mm-hmm. didn't think, I guess. The cool thing was, is when Leto showed up and took command. Oh, he yeah. He really yeah. took command. Oh, dude. That yeah. was awesome. <laughs> yeah. He took command of the entire force. He was the, uh, I guess the yes. highest ranking, um, ruling house at that place. Yeah. I like how even mm-hmm. the, um, Redondo or whatever his name was, was like, he's right. He's in charge. That was, that was just a cool yep. moment. Yeah. Sure. By the way, Roland doesn't think that he ever came across as a good man, Tat. Really? Yeah, he doesn't like him as a mentat. Well, he was twisted, so it's not like he went to the mentat school or anything. <laughs> and he loved drugs. Well, he, it's true. Yeah, he took a lot of drugs. Yeah, yeah. A lot of drugs. Because <laughs> he was on the verge of discovery. Yeah, we were having the visions of the future yeah. and everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, try to think of the, what other major ball Anarils killed by... Right, and actually Piper. killed kind of honorably a little bit. I mean, it doesn't one daughter is like watching out of the closet and actually hears the whole thing and knows yeah. kind of how honorably that she's died. And it's kind of a she's kind of gotten whacked out. And you're not real sure about her. You're not sure about how she's going to treat Jessica, but she dies kind of defending this kid. Yeah, yeah. One thing I thought was mm-hmm. really interesting was Mahayam doesn't reveal. Piter was the criminal after she kills him. That is interesting. You know, she just mails him back, to, mails the body to the Baron. Dude, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Baron's like, where's Piter? I haven't heard from him. And then the package comes, and it's like, here's Piter. Here he is. <laughs> yeah, so. Okay, call X, get me another one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. How did you feel about the development of the Ixian people in this one? Just you got to see more. We talked about the uh, uh, axolotl tanks, what they were. You saw, dude. More that of was that. kind of disturbing. Yeah, the axolotl tanks are just pure evil. Like the bloated bellies, yeah. the manufacturing. Yeah. Like when when the assassin, when the Benedjes are assassin, gets taken there, uh, it's turned into Christine, that. I'm just, yeah. I'm just kind of that bothers me. That bothered me a bit. Yeah. yeah. Jim, you were saying. Yeah, that, that was uh, Sister Christine. Oh, thank you. That, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I was kind of they I, they I, developed her character enough. I was kind of rooting for her. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Uh, Jim, you were saying. Sorry, didn't mean to. Well, the, the oh, don't worry about it. The uh, the her character development. I could see that coming. I knew that was going to happen. I hoped it wouldn't. I hoped that she would fight her way out of it, but there yeah. was just no way. I thought it was interesting her brief moment of tenderness with Qatar and how she, you know, the sisterhood's always pushing this like, are you human? Are you human? But they push down their uh, emotion, their their emotions in a very volcanistic kind of way, you know. But here in this moment, she was almost into Qatar, like kind of not seduced because they, you know, they didn't. I don't think they slept together, but the. In, well, I think they did. I think they did. Do you think so? I thought, oh yeah, I thought there was I thought one part of was, her and, he, and it was just was that was it. Oh man, I don't I know. Forget. I don't know, Jim. Mm-hmm. We need your uh, referee opinion here. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think they slept together. I, was there a bedroom scene a, between them? Well, they slept, Listeners, they slept we need in the same bed, but there wasn't any. I thought that like it was one of those things where she like oh her, you'll just we'll just keep each other warm. Where she opened herself flesh up against to him flesh, and he and he embraced. What her, do you mean open him herself emotionally? Up to, oh, okay, emotionally. just checking, yeah. just checking. <laughs> what are we looking for? Some boom chicka wah wah. I want the words boom chicka wah wah, or I don't think anything happened. <laughs> <laughs> you got that, Kevin Janderson? The next book, the next boom chicka wah wah, needs to be in that book. By the way, Roland agrees that he does not think that they slept together. Okay, I'm still taking the high road here, saying they did. I don't know if it's the high road or the low road or whatever. It's probably not. Uh, you know, I the about, go ahead. I was gonna say, how about that storyline though with Fenring and the face dancer that tried to uh, kill him and take over? Yeah, dude, that was to, 
That was great. And that storyline actually begins, uh, back on, back on X. And when there's a part when that face dancer comes before Saddam, Shaddam and says, I want to say Saddam, but Shaddam, <laughs> right? And, and I thought at that moment when he's impersonating, um, who's it again? Uh, Fenring. Fenring. When he's impersonating Fenring in front of him, I was like, oh my gosh, Fenring's dead because he knows he's in danger right in the scene before. Well, then they kind of work it out that he's going, uh, you know, to the guild home world to kind of infiltrate the ships, which I thought was kind of cool, them doing that. Yeah. Um, and then we have that whole fight scene you were alluding to. Yeah. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, it was a tense, an intense fight scene. Oh yeah! Like I just thought, it it, like they were they were pretty evenly matched, which really made it interesting, right? Uh, and and it it sh- it showed just how formidable Fenring is too, oh, because yeah. supposedly Zoal uh, was not able to kill. He was that was not in his makeup. That was a lie. Yeah, that was a lie. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And not only that, but he was not only was he trained to kill, but he was adaptive. He was able to learn on this on on the fly, you know, from what Frenring was doing, and he realized that that made him all the more dangerous. You really get a chance mm-hmm. to, to see how Fenring was a failed Kuzak uh, Heterak. You know, they, they they mentioned it a couple times, but the more you think about it, it's like he's really smart, he's really intuitive, and he's got these like this fighting skill and stuff. This is all Akuza Kateri kind of like stuff. Oh yeah, you know, he just wasn't quite there. So. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was pretty intense. And you see him again, you know, bring out his fighting skills. You know, when he after he blows up the factory when they're fighting an X, and he walks out and encounters. Um, Duncan's troops. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and Duncan and his crew just kind of take him down. Right. Kind of, but he, he worms his way out of it, you know. Oh yeah. Like oh, I was a prisoner. This yeah. And that. Yeah. Yeah. They don't quite believe him, but he still, he still didn't have the persuasive powers to get Shaddam to understand that Amal wasn't going to work. Yeah. Even after he proved it wasn't going to work. Right. Right. Well, it was, uh, uh, while we're on the subject of Amal and Spice, uh, we learned a lot more about the Spacing Guild in, in this. We did. Um, we got to see their home planet. Um, that was kind of interesting. Um, even more of it. Or was that in the last book that we learned about uh, communing with the spirit or whatever it was? Mm. Yeah, there was a scene with an oracle. Yeah, with the oracle. Mm. What? Before uh, Demur. Got onto the uh, highlighter. What do you think of the Oracle? Any thoughts into that? I I, I think it might be something that would just help uh, help them focus themselves and center themselves. Yeah. Nothing, and, nothing more. And put out, yeah, and put out distractions so they don't have distractions. Because what would be more dangerous than? flying through space without actually seeing what's in front of you. Right. So they need to have incredible focus to do what they do. But it it talks to them a little bit, doesn't it, at one point? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I don't remember. I'm just trying, yeah, I'm you, trying to put thoughts in your head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't uh, know. I'll just, I'll just cut to the chase. I can't remember if I'm right, but I, I feel like it's Norma. The Oracle is Norma. I don't think I state that though in this book. No, but like I th- now, that's because the character was never wasn't written at this point. Oh, oh true, because uh, these were written before, before the yeah the jihad books. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. It does. Yeah. So, what about the Talaxu? So we, we we encountered them only through this corrupt guy that thinks the Talaxu are kind uh, of. Uh, yeah. Out, we we really don't encounter them outside of this, really. Yeah, uh, it's an interesting society. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're very they're like super religious, but so close minded to anything. Like their their way is the only holy way. Uh, everyone else is a pawanda, or I think that's how you say it, pawanda traitor or whatever they call it, dirty. Mm. So that's a uh, Interesting perspective. Uh, genetics is their is the language of God. I think is their is their motto that they said. That's not yeah. unlike the Bene Gesserit. 
Yeah. To some degree. I agree. What do you think of the uh, but, re- reintroduction of Leto's mom? I think it was ballsy for her to show up at the door. <laughs> you think? Uh, yeah. What do you think, Jim? I think, well, I think she asserted herself quite well. Young man, I am still your mother. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that was way out of left field, though, wasn't it? It was. And, you know, it, at one point, you know, from a reader's perspective, you say, well, okay, this is just a mechanism to get Leto involved into uh, saving his relatives, I guess, and, and helping his relatives out. So that was one side of it. Um, it does bring in, uh, it does fill Duncan in on what really happened when he was a yeah. kid. It links us back to the first book, which I think maybe in that way it's kind of, it serves kind of an importance there because uh, other than that, there's, there's just loose connection to the first book and we're kind of brought full circle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I think, you know, not only does it get him involved in with his family, but it, it it's the beginning of the, Softening him to that idea of of strike and and hand out at, uh, you know forgiveness at the same time mm. uh, kind of thing like at the, at the mm. end of the book where you know he offers the aids to Bacall and, and while while he's attacking his, right so right yeah you know uh, the, um, I just want to backstep we did talk briefly about it but uh, Shaddam's half brother. Yeah, that character was developed in such a way that I felt empathy for him, uh-huh. and um, and when he's uh, arrested, not because he was initially going to attack, but he was just trying to get his attention. Like he didn't go in there with a plan of attack at all. And then he has this huge speech that he's written that's never going to be heard. That just happens to be um, heard by the Ixian ambassador. What was his name? I can't remember his name, but the guy. Yeah. Okay. So, and, uh, so the Ixian ambassador, right? And, you know, records a speech so that everyone can hear it eventually and it changes. Yeah. And the big thing along, along with that is, is he's not just the Carino heir, is he's technically. He's also the uh, Ixian heir. Ixian, yeah. The Vernaya, Vernays, or how yeah. do you say House Bernays. No. Bernays. Yeah. Now, wait a minute. Did he not, did Rafa not try to kill Shaddam? Not initially. When he hops, what my understanding is he hops on stage with the, the jonglers, the jocklers. Yeah, right? So he's, he's on stage and he comes up and he's there to get his attention and to plead his case initially. But when the Sardaukar move in to arrest him, he realizes he's going to be attacked and he changes that beam to be more of a killing beam. And it, and it ends up not cutting down Saddam, but one of his uh, that Sardaukar. See, that's, I, that's, my, that's my recollection on what happened here. My interpretation was that he was going to use it, shoot it up in the air for his for like a, a show during his speech like he right didn't, he didn't intend to use it as a weapon because they they talk about how he's talking and he places the crystal in there and it starts powering up but he's not being threatening they just right. see that this weapon is powering up and then they attack him and he's like wait no no and it's when they when they go after him that he kind of like fumbles and lowers it down like a weapon yeah but it, my my point is he didn't intentionally go after Shaddam to right. kill him at that point yeah i don't think that that was his intention at all yeah, he just wanted to make. See, and my take, my take was that he did want to kill Shaddam. He was, he had had enough of it. Uh, his his teacher, his mentor, Othan, was killed. The planet was wiped out. His home was gone. He had he had nothing left. Huh. No, no, I I agree with that. Nothing. I just don't, I just don't think it came out. I don't think that in that scene when he's arrested that that was necessarily his intent to get back at. Yeah. Saddam. Hmm. Is Roland still in the chat? What did he, he is. Think? He didn't comment on it yet, so okay. we'll see if he uh, throws a co- comment up there. But you might be right, Jim. I'm just, but my recollection was it wasn't yeah. malicious in that way. It was kind of like I just wanted him to hear my case, and I thought somewhere that he said that. Um, maybe when he's talking to Pilru in in prison later on. Although his death scene hmm. was very sad. The fact oh, that they yeah. sewed his mouth shut. Yeah, he couldn't. He couldn't give his speech. Yeah. And then, and then at the end of the book, when the, the ambassador shows the tape to Shaddam, he's like, well, I'm glad I, I sealed his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> what a bastard well, killing him. Not o- Go ahead. Yeah. He not only sealed his mouth to keep him from giving his speech, but from revealing to the world that he was 
uh, half brother to Shaddam. Yeah. yeah. By the way, Roland agrees he doesn't think he was trying to kill Shaddam at that okay. point. That was his interpretation if, of that. If Rafa had told people that he was Shaddam's half brother, then Shaddam would really look bad. Yeah. yeah. He was doomed. He he looks bad anyway. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He would he would have like, if, even if he would have done some other way of coming out about it, he was going to die. I don't think there's any question. Well, image, image is everything, though, and oh, you yeah. know we know what's we know what's going on with Shaddam, but the general population doesn't. That's true. That's true. So he has an image to maintain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if he would have gotten those tests done more publicly, yes, maybe he would have had a chance. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Are we ready to Let's, move on? Yeah, why don't we move? We didn't really talk about the Fremen a whole lot, and there's not a heck of a lot that happened with them, except they just kind of opened the book very brutally. Yeah. And um, the big thing that happens with the Fremen, uh, not to tread on your feet here, uh, Jim, I know these are your people, but I'll, I'll summarize it, is that uh, Liet kind of becomes the leader of all Fremen. Dude, that was a good scene, too, mm-hmm. when he's like contested and yeah. he ends up. But yeah, blood you know, spilled and yeah, it's kind of like what he, you know, and then and then the, his Naib stands up for him and is kind of like, no, you know, nobody's right. gonna, nobody's going to fight here about this. I I thought that that was just kind of an interesting interesting scene, uh, an untied up thing, and maybe we'll find out when we do. And it's been so long since I've read it, but he has a son, and I don't remember his son ever being mentioned in. Uh, the other stuff, huh. uh, because I mean, well, it's not technically his son. Well, that's true, but he's it's another Step, yet. Yeah, and uh, that's true. Yeah, he has uh, his daughter is Chani. Yeah, so, but uh, yeah, Liet Cheech. Yeah, uh, you know, yes. Yeah. So and that big uh, sandworm display at the end, of, dude. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Very ominous, kind of. It's I, it's been so long. I'm I'm looking forward to rediscovering the life cycle of the worms and like what it is that's going on there. Hmm. That's interesting. You know, I I have a question for you, David. Maybe sure. you can fill in a blank for me. I'm I am not, and maybe I, I just feel ignorant about that. I don't understand chome. Ah, uh, you know what? I you know what? I had the same thought, Jim. I thought that. The Chome directorship was very underdeveloped. Like you, you see it, you know they're functioning, you know they're an integral part of society, but they just, like there's, the guild is even more fleshed out than Chome is. You know they exist, they're somehow a part of the commerce, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they flesh them out a little bit better as we go on here. Um, but basically it's kind of like, uh, what was, uh, Venport's, company called oh yeah yeah the um i don't know what it was called but venport enterprises yeah yeah venki venki enterprises okay basically venki enterprises i've taken it involves into chum uh you know because they were in such control of market and then the spacing guild because of norma had to become its own thing you know because they had to have indoctrinated people into into doing that so chum is is kind of like I don't know how to explain it, other than like a Wall Street. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like they they control how much of this can go to here and, you know, who can sell what and who has a monopoly on this and that. And then how the House members have stakes in Chom. And that's kind of the way that I took it. I mean, maybe, why don't you, uh, we have the Dune Encyclopedia right here. We can look it up eventually. Yeah. We should, look, that's, we should look it up. Yeah. So. But that's uh, Chom. Oh, yeah, but again, this 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 encyclopedia is totally not accurate anymore. But yeah, so they're kind of they're kind of like a regulatory commission, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, but just it's like commerce. You know, the guild controls transportation, right? But Chom controls who sells what and how much of it, and who gets what right. cut, and that because it seems to me. That Chome and the Guild are both more powerful, actually, than the Emperor. It comes across that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. He and, can make laws and, and stuff, it, but, you know, if people want to get if it they in they decide... Yeah. 
Yeah, if they decide they don't want him anymore, he could be he could be uh uh overthrown. Yeah, he could be impeached or something whatever they're calling it. They don't give a they you know how long the entry in show is? Oh my gosh. It's like I don't know about oh five pages. I'm not gonna read the whole thing now. Um the combine Annette over advancer mercantile is what Chom stands for. But and um hmm. it was created by political and military forces sustained by them and in turn maintained by those powers. Um, it was brought about as a reaction to the formation of the Spacing Guild. Ah, so it's like the opposite force of the space. Yeah, so it's kind of like, what, the legislator or, uh, I guess, Senate and House, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Kind of the mm. version of it. Huh. But Interesting. That's the first time I've opened that book. Thank you. Yeah, that's <laughs> good excuse. <laughs> All right. That's, why don't we move into our quotes? Don't we have some quotes here? Sure. Who's leading us through these? Jim, is that your job? Yes, I believe it is. <laughs> okay. Uh, our favorite quotes, and let's start with David. Sure. Okay. So... I forgot to get uh, who said these things, so uh, unfortunately I don't have that information. But either way, they're still good quotes. I'll start off with, Humans are different in private than in the presence of others. While the private persona merges into the social persona, in varying degrees, the union is never complete. Something is always held back. And uh, mm-hmm. I think I spend a decent amount of time discussing introvert and extrovert personalities with people. And that just kind of really, I was like, yeah, okay. That does. Yeah, for sure. Um, moving on, I said, uh, uh, one of the ones was, we could, we could be dreaming all the time, but we do not perceive those dreams while we are awake because consciousness, like the sun obscuring stars during the day, is much too brilliant to allow the unconscious content so much attention. As, that was cool. Hmm. Reminded me, uh, I, when I read that, I, I thought of Vanilla Sky. You ever seen that movie? Oh, man. A while ago. Yeah. You know, the lucid dreaming and stuff. Uh, I think I quoted this one on Facebook. This is, this is, um, probably the one that stood out for me the most just because of my own personal interest in the subject. Uh, laws are dangerous to everyone, innocent and guilty alike, because they have no human understanding in and of themselves. They must be interpreted. That's mm-hmm. danger zone right there, for sure. Uh, mm, I mean, yeah. I think we've all heard stories about, you know, laws made to help people where it turns around to hurt people. So, yeah. 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 That's mine. Okay. And Scott, what did you find? All right. So I have, I'll pick three here. Um, I like the, the quote, the natural destiny of power is fragmentation. And that was by Parashah Emperor Idris I, the Landsrod archives. So I thought that that was interesting because you do see kind of a, a fragmentation in the power as a result of Saddam's activities. So I thought that that was good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like this one, and this is uh, Peter Dries who says, it's no secret that we all have secrets. However, few of them are as veiled as we intend them to be. Or uh, as veiled as we intend them to be. So, mm-hmm. um, And this other one is by uh, Aristotle of Old Earth. It is not always the same to be a good man and a good citizen. There you go. So I thought those were mm-hmm. some good quotes. And I do have one more if Jim doesn't take it. So go ahead, Jim. okay the three i found they're kind of short and again like david mine aren't annotated because i did them rather quickly uh first one is the enemy to be feared is the one who wears the face of a friend (laughs) yeah yes yeah be uh yeah watch out you might have a knife Behind your your friend might have a knife behind their back. That's oh, why, yeah. that's why they, Scott, uh, sit, the, Scott and I sit looking at each other when we record. Exactly, exactly. Because hey, <laughs> what's really in your yeah. pocket? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I'm way out here in Nebraska, so you can't touch me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, uh, my second one was, there are some men who refuse to accept defeat under any circumstances. Will history judge them heroes or fools? That's a good one. That's a good one. Now, I've been... I've been trying to come up with examples of both. Um, I haven't had a great t- a great deal of time to think about it, but it'd be kind of neat to find examples of uh, those that wouldn't give up and became heroes or fools. Well, I guess the question Depends. becomes: um, House Vernies, your know, Romber, is he? He did not give up on X after all these years. Does does time paint him as a hero or a fool? I mean, yeah. Yeah, we don't I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking more in terms of of reality. Reality? What's that? <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And the last one I picked was: politics is the art of appearing candid and completely open, while concealing in as much as possible. <laughs> nice. Um, yes. I do have one other quote I'll share because you didn't. Um, any training school for free citizens, for free citizens must begin by teaching distrust, not trust. It must teach questioning, not acceptance of stock answers. And that's by Kim R. Pilro. So, okay. As a teacher in a public school system, tell me how this relates. Okay, Jim, go ahead. <laughs> Hey, I'll tell you what, (laughs) a a student, a kid can spot a phony from a hundred miles away. All they have to do is ask one question and then you act like you know the answer. Oh yeah. And then they just, they discover you don't know the answer. Yeah. You know, and I would, the, the, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I'm. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, you go ahead. Fight. We're, we're, we're both public school oh, teachers go. here, and yeah. and I think the other, I think, I think the thing is, um, it depends what you're calling distrust to. Like for me as a teacher, I certainly don't want my students distrusting me as a teacher. That compromises uh, the educational system to some degree. Um, do I want them to take everything that I give them, or accept my way of viewing an issue, or? An idea, hopefully not, and hopefully they they do develop their own ideas and don't yeah. just uh, um, take that what they've been taught hook, line, and sinker that they seek to kind of explore and discover that beyond um, beyond what I believe or how I view things. Um, and so I so I guess that that would be my response to that. Okay. So from but that before, good before you can test them. They are going to test you. Ooh. Oh yes, true, true. Mm-hmm. Yep. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as not a teacher, I say lie to them as much as you can. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> just remember, brutality breeds brutality, David. Ooh. Love breeds love. That's by Lady Anna Rule Carino. Come on. Wow. <laughs> There's always a quote for something. <laughs> there is. There is. So lying breeds lying, David. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> let's go ahead and rate this book. Let's, let's start with Jim. Jim, let me know what you feel rating-wise on this guy. Uh, I thought about this. And uh, I I got to give it a four eight. Okay, all right, Scott. Um, you know I'm with Jim in this. This this book ranked high, and I think it ranked mm-hmm. high because of all the books, there was there was quite a bit of action in comparison to the prior two. Yeah. So you have a lot of action. You have a lot of, a lot of threads pulling together, and the thing is, it's a little bit unfair to rank these separately because they really function as one complete novel. I mean, the storylines are like, really do. And, and so you rank them as one complete novel. I mean, we're dealing with the climactic point of this, of the prelude to Dune. Right. And and in my, and as far as the way I'm concerned, I think this ranks at least a 4.5 as a collective. And this one ranks probably 4.5 to 4.75. I liked it. I liked it a lot. All right. It's not the, mm-hmm. 
It's not the best book I read, but it's really good. It really pulls threads together, and I'm believing it. And I'm not finding myself at any point feeling that it was necessarily slow or I'm just wadding through to get to yeah. the next portion. Mm. I felt like it kept me engaged. That what's going on with the characters I cared about. Um, I'm cringing at some of the death scenes, like I said earlier. And so there's some writing that's in moving me and affecting me, and I'm cheering for characters, and I'm wanting other characters dead, and I'm happy when people are humbled. And so that tells me that I'm engaged in this book, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. What what struck me as as I read all three of the books, it it was structured almost like a symphony with a fast movement and a slow movement in the middle and then a really big bang uh, last movement, like something you would get from Mozart or Haydn. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I have to say, I, the, here's, here's, I'm going to give this book a four, a four or five uh, for me. I, we know that I gave Harkonnen five out of five. And I love House Harkonnen. You did. Um, with that book, it was like, I just could not wait to pick it back up and read more. Right? House Carino wasn't necessarily the same where I just couldn't wait to pick it up again. But when I was reading it, it was hard to put down. So it was mm-hmm. like, I didn't want to devote, I didn't want to start reading unless I knew I had time to really get into it. Because, because it was, it was like every chapter ended. And I was like, I want to know. Like what's the next chat? Who's who's going to be in the next chapter? Oh, I want to know more about that story. You know the way it just kind of moved. It moved around at a really good, a really good pace. And also knowing that it was shorter, I knew I wasn't going to be spending too much time not on important things. Right. Uh, I also really liked that mm-hmm. the the Fremen took a, a bit of a back seat because their Sorry, character- Jim. Well, the characters were they developed well, <laughs> but they didn't spend a lot. They didn't overdevelop them. Mm-hmm. And and they were dangerously mm-hmm. getting close to the point where it was like too much development for these characters. So that's my thoughts on the book. There, oh, very good. Very oh, good. they're gonna they're gonna figure in big time coming up. So what? <laughs> what do you mean? Spoiler! Spoiler! <laughs> well, normally right now we we say what's next. What what do you want to see next? I want to I want to read Dune. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I want to read Dune. <laughs> I think we've all read Dune, so we all know what's kind of coming here. But I think in this, yeah, in this, the movie, yeah, in this portion, maybe we can just quickly say what's in store for our schedule coming up, uh, just so people can kind of gauge where we're going. So, well, I think the first thing we're going to be doing is reading Dune. Is that correct? That is correct. That's right. So we talked about we're going to read Dune, and that's going to be our May book. Yeah. May, yeah, end of May book. End of May book. End of May book. And then, um, my understanding is we were going to be going into the David Lynch movie. Yep. For, that'll be our June. That'll be our June. And then? Uh, then we'll read Paul of Dune. Oh yeah, Paul of Dune. Because we don't want to stay away from the books for too long. Right. So we'll read Paul of Dune. And then we'll go to Dune the miniseries. Yep. The sci-fi miniseries. So that'll be, so Paul of Dune will be July. Miniseries will be August. Right. And then we won't. We'll, we'll go back to the books for um, uh, Dune Messiah, children and Children of Dune. And then we'll get, do the miniseries. And then we'll again. do the miniseries, yeah, because that includes those two books, right? So that's kind of the schedule that we're going to go along um, there. So along those lines, and I, I didn't get to mention to do this before, but I have um, really nice uh, old copies of Dune. Dune Messiah and Children of Dune. So I think we can do a giveaway here. If we haven't had anybody call in yet. So if you don't have a copy of Dune and you're domestic in, in the U.S. and you'd like to put your name in for a drawing to win Dune on the next show, uh, it's the, I think, 1985 edition, the one that came before the current one. Okay. Um, so we'll give away Dune this time we'll get, and we'll do the other ones later. But if anybody's interested in winning that, uh, call and leave your review on Dune and tell us how Dune affected you, uh, your perception of science fiction or your life in any way. Or I any think that's good. Ways. So, and, and so you can call our number or you can email us, um, a recording if, you know, if you prefer to do that rather than call in. Right. And we'll give you our number here in just a minute. So that's our contest. And we'll, we'll on our listener feedback show for Dune, uh, the book, we will announce the winner. 
Absolutely. Uh, for this one. That sounds good. That sounds good. And relatives of the Dune Saga podcast are not eligible to win. <laughs> Must be 18 years of age old or yeah, not, a, not valid in Alaska or, or Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. So I say but, domestic just because, you know, it's crazy to ship out. Right, right. It's, it's too expensive. Yeah. So, well, that pretty much brings us to the end. So um, as we wrap up here, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us your thoughts for Dune coming up, which we'll be we're doing next, or any of the previous books that we've done, to... Dune Saga Podcast at gmail.com or you can call the voicemail at 188-508-4343. You can also find us at Facebook at facebook.com slash Dune Saga Podcast and of course on Twitter at, at Dune Saga Podcast. So we want to keep the conversation going so please feel free to chime in there yep. and we will respond to pretty much anything you put up probably at the time and again on our listener feedback show which comes here in about a week and a half it'll be up. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, right absolutely. So, once again, for the Dune Soccer Podcast, I'm David Moulton. I'm Scott Herzog. And I'm Jim Arrowwood. And may Shai Halud clear the path before you. <laughs> <laughs>